This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. But this morning, friends, I want to ask you have, you, have you ever felt like you've been caught up in a cosmic battle where the forces of good and evil clash and you find yourself right in the middle? Today we open the pages of God's Word to Revelation chapter 12, a chapter that unveils a celestial drama unlike any blockbuster movie ever made. It's the story of a woman, the dragon, and the child. It's a tale that captivates our hearts and souls. It's a cosmic battle, friends. And there's a woman that's radiant like the sun. She's clothed with divine authority and grace, and she represents the church, friends, God's chosen people. You and me, just think about it. You and I are finding ourselves in the middle of the story. God includes us in His story, this very captivating one. We are radiant, we are cherished, and we are protected by our Heavenly Father. But there's more to the saga. Enter the dragon, the ancient serpent, the embodiment of evil itself. He's cunning, relentless, and fiery red, out to wreak havoc, especially on the woman and the child. The dragon's furious schemes are aimed at nothing less than destruction of God's great plan. Ah, but don't miss this very important aspect, the child. The child is born to, of the woman. And he is no ordinary child. He is Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. He came into this world to bring light into darkness and to lead us into victory. The dragon may try to devour him, but watch closely. He rises, Jesus rises in in triumph, ascending the throne of God. So here we are in the middle of this celestial drama. The cosmic battle rages, and we have a role to play. You and I are called to stand firm and to grasp the hope of the ultimate victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do, may our hearts be stirred with courage, our spirits ignited with faith, for together, the radiant bride of Christ, we are dressed and we are positioned to overcome Let's embark on this journey together. Are you ready? So the first character that we encounter in chapter 12 is the woman. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head the crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Friends, This woman has significant symbolic meaning for you and I. If we look at some Old Testament examples, the the woman actually represents Israel. And and God, in so many places throughout the Old Testament, refers to Israel as his bride, his chosen one, his betrothed one. Isaiah 54 verse 5 to 6 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife, deserted and distressed in spirit. 
Friends, that picture of, of the moon and the stars and the sun is actually a reference to what we see with Joseph. He has that dream. You remember that first dream he had? He dreamt about the moon and the stars and, and the sun bowing down to him. He thought it was a picture of him, and in a sense, it did show that, but it was actually ultimately a picture of Christ and that he would win for himself a glorious bride. The woman is also the Virgin Mary, also a picture of, of Jesus' mother. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is speaking to Satan, the serpent. And he says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friends, God promised that through his offspring, he would bring victory. Through his offspring and through his bride, he would bring about a transformation, a change. Now, there is significant reality for you and I today. We have a part to play. Often we read the scriptures and go, well, where am I in this story? This is like old stories. and when, when is it going to happen? Or maybe it's going to happen down the line. It has very little to do with me. But actually, as we've been going through this journey, I believe God's showing us that we are active participants in the drama. We're not just spectators, but we have some spots to play in the story. We see the woman as representative of us, Jesus' bride. And we remembered of that or reminded of that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Friends, that is Christ's desire for us. If we're going to be part of what God is revealing, if we are going to be part of what God is wanting to do on the earth, we need to begin to see ourselves as his bride. And that we have a, an integral part to play in how we can express that. Now, some of us may ask us, but Gareth, how do we do that? I want you to imagine for a moment a Christian woman named Sarah. She's part of a vibrant, life-giving, but diverse church community. Maybe look around for a moment. You can put yourself in those shoes. She's passionately seeking to follow Jesus and to share his love with others. One day, Sarah encounters a troubled young man who has lost his way, and he's been lured away towards the destructive habits and dark influences that this world has to offer. And Mark finds himself on the verge of being consumed by these different things, actually being devoured, completely destroyed. But Sarah, inspired by the example of Christ, who said he's willing to lay down his life for his bride, follows Christ's example and loves him. And he begins to intercede for Mark, begins to reach out to Mark, begins to tell him of God's love and grace that's available to him. And as we see, this battle for Mark's soul is not a physical one, friends. It's a spiritual one. 
it might outwork in the physical, but it starts in the spiritual. And remember, as we've been going through this journey through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things that happen in the spiritual realm, but then they outwork here on the earth. And you and I need to be mindful of that. We cannot sleep and slumber. We cannot be called of, of God. But because Sarah believed these words, she was willing to do this. Revelation chapter 12, verse uh, 11, it says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Sarah is willing to reach out. Sarah is willing to share her life with someone who is far from God. And that's the role of us as a church, friends. God wants us to be persistent in our love, persistent in our prayers, and persistent in sharing our testimony with others. So many of us find ourselves in our workplaces, encountering people on a daily basis, and then we remain silent about the hope we have. God doesn't want us to be a silent church anymore. If we're going to engage in the battle that's waging, we've got to start using our mouths, friends. We've got to start using our lives as a way of doing that. Just as Sarah plays an important role in Mark's life and his redemption and his salvation, you and I have a role to play. But there's some other parts in the story. If you read through further on in, in this chapter in verse uh, th uh, 3 and 4, we see the dragon. Enter the dragon. It feels like a Bruce Lee movie. Whoa! Verse 3 and 4 says, and, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and was about, who was about to give birth, so that he, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. Friends, this is a moment in history. This is why we, when we read the book of Revelation, you can't see it as chronological because we've just looked at the trumpets that's going to happen, but now we're speaking of actually this moment that's being described is when Jesus was born. What happened with Jesus' birth? All the boys under two years of age were sought out and killed. The dragon was ready and waiting to devour, but God was still at work. The dragon represents the serpent, as we see. It's an old, age-old thing, you know. It's like the same story, just a different day. But in the book of Genesis, we obviously see the serpent there deceiving and, and, and casting doubt and deception within the hearts of man and enticing man to say, well, maybe you can be like God. What did he want to do? He wanted to exalt himself above the Most High. So his schemes remain the same. You and I need to understand that the devil or the dragon is our adversary. In the book of Job, we see this, this terrible moment. I, I, I sometimes read that passage and I think, really, Lord? The devil comes into God's throne room and says, you know, God actually points out Job. says, hey, have you, have you seen my, my servant Job? And the devil says, ah, he just serves you because you look after him. He just loves you because you're good to him. 
But if, if, he, if he experiences some trial and some challenges, he'll turn his back on you. But if you obviously, as you read the story of Job, he never wavers in his faith. And God restores him. And God also fights on his behalf. And so the enemy is always going to come to be our adversary, to accuse us. So many of us, I feel, experience the dragon's influence in our lives. I'm thinking of a, of a girl called Lebo, who has leadership and who has a passion to see her community transformed and is seeking out opportunities to uplift those people around her. But she faces constant challenges from others in the political arena. As she rises to prominence and gains greater influence, she encounters these different figures wanting to pressurize her, saying, you know, around here, if you want to get ahead, just make sure that you get with the program. Make sure that we are enjoying some corrupt activities because that's just how things are done. And she's challenged. Do I stand upon my beliefs and my values or do I compromise under the weight, under the influence of the dragon? Am I, am I willing to stand for what is right or am I willing to succumb to them? Because friends, there is a battle going on. You and I are faced with battles every single day. And the enemy wants to, just like in the garden, and even till today, he wants to entice us away from God. And sometimes it's in the, the best things. In the, in, the, in the garden of Eden, Eve looked at the fruit and said, oh, it looks good. It's good for eating and would be helpful for gaining some wisdom and insight. And so often we are, are faced with these pressures from the outside. And we think, but uh, if I compromise just a little bit, I, you know, I'm going to be able to accomplish so much more if I've gained this platform. But Lebo decides not to because she's not alone, friends. She has a vibrant relationship with Jesus, but she's also surrounded by fellow followers of Christ who stands around her, prays for her, encourages her, and seeks to empower her. Because I understand that the battle we face isn't just physical, friends. It's spiritual. The enemy or the dragon will always look for opportunities to undermine. Always looking to push and to resist. Always wanting to deceive. Always wanting to tempt. Always wanting to undermine the purposes of God. But friends, we will not succumb to that. Because we are involved in a battle with a king who has won. You and I need to see this, friends, that the significance of the child that's being mentioned in chapter 12 is phenomenal. Unfortunately, this passage is not on the screen, but I'm going to read it for us from um, chapter 12, verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which 
she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, many of us read that and go, sure, Gareth, now wait a minute. How does this all work? You and I need to see that just as Christ was born, he died. He overcame the serpent, the dragon. But he was then taken into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. I want you to see this, friends. If Christ is seated, he is our high priest. The priest would always stand at the sacrifice, forever working, forever atoning, forever paying for our sins. But Christ, our high priest, fully paid the price so he could now be seated. And as he is seated, friends, God has prepared a place for you and I, even in the midst of this time of trial, in this time of uncertainty, at this time of us eagerly awaiting for the return of our bridegroom. And when we see these numbers, I want you to remind you that these are symbolisms. Many people read these things very literally, and I think that can be quite daunting or would be a mistake. But I think it's important for us to see that in the midst of this, there is trial and tribulation. There is a challenge and some changes that you and I will face. But you and I need to see that this child is involved. Christ Jesus is involved. He is the promise of, uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 to 18. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and of the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of these enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Speaking about Jesus, but also speaking about you and I. We have a role to play. Jesus is also our prophet. As an example of this prophecy that God gave to Moses, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. The child Christ coming into our world, into our reality means that you and I have access to the promises of God in Abraham, but also to the voice of God leading us. Even though we might find ourselves in the wilderness right now, God is taking us home one day to a promised land that He has prepared for us. Isn't that an exciting dynamic to think about? Friends, so many of us find ourselves perhaps like a, a, a person I have come to know who found himself lost in addiction and depression and despair and felt like his life was spiraling out of control. I felt like it was such a significant prophetic word that, that, um, that Mally brought for us this morning. When you feel like the walls are caving in around you, I want you to see Christ, the, the Son of God, intervening in your life. Because, friends, when we are encountering the Son of Jesus, of God, Jesus Christ, that is when true transformation happens. But it's the gospel that transforms our hearts and lives. It's not our performance. If you are finding yourselves trapped in these things, it's not about you performing right, but it's actually you trusting in the Son, in the child that God would bring. Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we, we've seen him at work 
in the Old Testament. We see him at work in the New Testament, and he's even at work today in our lives. And friends, you and I have a responsibility. We are active participants in the drama. We are called to introduce others to the Son, to this wonderful, glorious King. And so we've seen now the woman, we've seen the dragon, and we've seen the child, but we also need to be aware of the war that's waging. And so many times, friends, in my own life, especially at times, I, I feel like I want to just forget about the fact that there's some stuff happening. I just want to go somewhere safe. You know, I was listening to this Afrikaans singer the other day. Don't ask me why I was listening to Afrikaans music, but that's what happened to me, you know? I was captivated in my, in my radio searching. And this singer um, was singing about semig- or immigrating, but then he decided to rather semigrate. Singing about immigrating to Australia, to Perth, or to, to Amsterdam, or to America, or England, or London, or different places. Dubai, maybe. And then he realized as he was sitting there, he missed South Africa too, too much, so he just emigrated down to the Cape, rather. <laughs> so many of us want to just escape, just find a place where it's a little bit easier. Friends, God doesn't want us to disengage from the war because the war is raging. In Verse 7 to 9, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. I want you to see that. He was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that, that, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth with his angels and thrown down with him. Friends, I need you to see this. Many of us see the cosmic battle as God getting off of his throne to take on the devil. God remains seated on the throne, friends. It's not God and the devil fighting. It's the the purposes and plans of God fighting against the devil. Because the devil is opposing, opposing to that. But God fighting the devil would be an unfair fight. But you and I have been called to be enlisted into his army to resist the enemy, and he will flee. When he tries to remind you of your future, you remind him of his. If he resists you, stand, friends. I love this example in the Old Testament with the book of, uh, you know, in, in uh, Exodus when, when they got to Jericho and and they faced this insurmountable obstacle, the very first part that they were going to, um, or battle that they were going to fight. It's beautiful for me to see that it wasn't one person fighting, but it was a whole people that fought together. Friends, as a church, as a body of, of Christ, we need to fight together. But there's also examples of other battles, friends. David step, stepping up, down into the valley against Goliath. He may have been alone out on the battlefield, but he came in the name and in the power of the living God. And some battles, friends, we need to fight together, but sometimes it requires of us to step out like David. I don't know what your family situation is like, some of the battles you're facing, 
and you're feeling like you're the only one that needs to step out, friends, draw upon the faithfulness of God in the midst of the battle you're facing. Do not try and topple the enemy in your own strength, but lean upon the King and God that you serve. There are some significant struggles that we experience. Some of us perhaps find ourselves struggling with some form of addiction. Now, many times we think of addiction as substance abuse and alcohol, but many times our, 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 our addiction is actually to our phones and scrolling. Or the next little bit of gossip, morsel that I can eat up. Mm. But if you realize that gossip is basically someone going, and someone going, ooh, lekker, lekker. <laughs> Maybe you think twice the next time you want to spread some news. Because that's what we do, friends. We can find ourselves bowing down to the idols in our lives. And I'm trusting the Lord that sometime next year we're going to be doing a series on strongholds because I believe God wants to set us free from the things that we worship that's not according to His will and plan. But friends, when you and I experience those challenges, those trials, those what, what feels to us like insurmountable um, odds, I just cannot get free from this addiction. I just cannot break free. I cannot overcome. Friends, then I want to remind you, as I reminded you when we did our, our Life in the Spirit series, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We overcome, not in our own strength, but because we realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when we engage with our lives, when we engage with our time, when we engage with, with the things we give ourselves to, not from the perspective of our perspiration, working at it, but rather our opportunity to pray, to trust God, I believe God will set us free and we will, we will see victory. Just like the walls of Jericho coming down and the giants uh, falling before David, you and I will see God help us overcome these dynamics. Now, there's three schemes of the enemy I need to make you aware of. And I mean, none of this stuff will probably be new to many of you, but I believe if I look at my own life, my gosh, I'm, I get caught up in it all the time. And I look at my life, I go, just get it. come on now, man. Just get over it. But I still struggle. So I've got to be reminded. So the first scheme of the enemy is deception. This, Satan is the father of lies, and he deceives the world, and he is leading a people away from the plans and purposes of God. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in, in John chapter 8.44. He says, you are of your father the devil. Whew. And you... And your will is to do your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out uh, of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, friends. The enemy wants to deceive us. 
He wants to just sow seeds in your heart and your mind. So like, did God really say? Is this really who you are? Can you, can you really overcome? Is he that's in you really bigger or stronger or greater than that which is in the world? Friends, you and I, I don't want us to be blinded. I don't want us to be deceived. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In their case, this is speaking about the world, the God of this world has blinded their minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Friends, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to see very clearly. When we allow the, the light of Christ to shine in our hearts and shine into every situation, darkness must flee. The second scheme of the enemy is accusation. Ever experienced that? Have you ever sort of thought, yes, I feel like I'm, I'm getting there, and then somebody just reminds you, oh, but you know, you haven't done that yet. Maybe some of your husbands, you're like, I've, look, look, I've fixed this. And then it's like, yes, but six months ago you said you were going to. Wives, don't be, don't be the accusers. <laughs> but husbands, come boys, come, Mickey. Just got to pull up our socks a little bit. Get involved in the battle. You see, friends, the enemy seeks for opportunities to, to bring condemnation and accusation against us. Because he wants to disrupt us from the unity that we experience within the body. And we will bring accusations against one another. We'll just sow a little bit of discord. And before we know it, we've lost the plot and the battle is lost. Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren or brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. God has dealt once and for all with the enemy. He has, his voice is not yet silent because he prowls around like a roaring lion. Ever been to a great game reserve? Sat there in the, in the camp and you hear, ooh, ooh, the whole time, you know? That's all the enemy can do intimidate, accuse, but he doesn't have any teeth. He doesn't have any feet either. He's been defeated <laughs> and disarmed. So. But friends, in the midst of these things, sometimes the way that we experience the greatest resistance is actually through persecution. And this is probably the one aspect in our lives that we buckle under the most. I'm just afraid of being left out, excluded. I'm afraid of what someone is going to do. I, I knew I was on my way towards that promotion, but because I said no to some other aspects that I know are unrighteous, I'm affected. I'm being persecuted. And in the society we live in, friends, that is going to continue to increase. And so many people I, I hear and they they speak about our, our walk with God as if like by some magic I'm going to be set free from all resistance or trial or, or, or temptation. But Paul writes to Timothy, he says, 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will never be persecuted. No, what does it say? Will be persecuted. We will experience resistance, friends. But there are ways in which we can overcome these schemes of the enemy. And I want to speak into that quickly. The first one is that you and I need to embrace the truth. Our true identity, the identity that God has placed within us, and the fact that we have a part to play in the bigger scheme of things. Romans chapter 8, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We clothe ourselves with Christ as we stand and embrace the truth. The second thing is that we cling to grace. We cling to grace. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We access God's grace on a daily basis. We receive it, but we also extend it. And in a church, friends, we need to continue to walk that out together. Thirdly, that we need to stand in faith. When the disciples prayed, they asked so many times, Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our faith. That's not a bad prayer to pray. If you feel like you're under pressure and you feel like God is nowhere to be found, ask God to show you where he's at and what he is doing. Because as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, I said, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is Paul speaking about a great resistance, a thorn in his side that would never leave him. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Anybody want to experience the power in the life of God in your life? Begin to boast in your weakness. Begin to tell people, hey man, I'm struggling. I did it again. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, Brittany. You're going to charge me royalties now. <laughs> Friends, so many of us do not live in the power of God and we don't experience the victorious life that God has for us because we never ever tell people about our weaknesses. And if anybody ever shares with you something that you feel like, yes, this is something nice to be able to share, can I say to you, my friend, I don't know if you want your dirty laundry going around. God wants us to live free. And I want to encourage you, find somebody. That's why we want you to be in a group. That's why we need you to find relationship. You can't just sit in a row every single week without having somebody invested in your life and that you're investing in. It's important, friends. And so, friends, as I close, I want to just remind us that as we've been going through this journey, we've, we've come up to the halfway mark of this book. And there's going to be another epic journey next year when we go through the last part of the book together. But I want you and I to see and to stand in awe of the battle that's unfolding before us. It is a battle that is more than just something that happened in ancient times, but it is a living reality for you and I today. It is an epic drama. And 
We have encountered the woman. We've encountered the dragon. We've also encountered the child. But the, chi- the, the woman is uh, radiant, glorious, graceful bride of Christ, his church. The dragon, as we've seen, is a cunning and relentless enemy seeking to undermine God's purposes and plans. But we've also marveled at, the, at this son, Jesus. And I want to encourage you, can you and I marvel at Jesus more often in our lives? Because God has, encou- has, has conquered sin and death on our behalf through the sacrifice of his son. This is a struggle that we experience. But we've also seen that there are some schemes that the enemy is at work with. He wants to deceive us. He wants to accuse us. And he wants to persecute us. But we will and can overcome as we lean upon God, as we embrace the truth of who he is and who we are, as we hold on to the grace that he provides for us, and as we stand firm in the faith. Friends, can we stand and cling to this knowledge, this beautiful picture that even in the midst of a war, we have a God that's seated on the throne. And that in the midst of the war, we are seated with Him in heavenly places where above powers and principalities, rulers and authorities of this world. But let's not be passive spectators. Let's be participants. Because there is a truth that this world needs to know, friends. We carry within us the hope that this world needs. And I don't want any person to come into a relationship or, or to come into their, their eternal um, destiny without having a relationship with Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage us. Can we be a church that's activated, sharing our, our testimony, encouraging others around us, sharing our weaknesses with one another, carrying one another's burdens as we resist and participate in the powerful journey that God unfolds. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now, Lord, for every one of us, Lord Jesus, as we've been reflecting upon some of these end-time pictures in this last season, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would not be so consumed with the different details and the stories and the tribulations and the wars and the creatures, but that we would be enamored by a king who is high and lifted up, ruling over all, but inviting us in. Lord, I pray that you would empower us as a church, that we would be a people who stand firm in the midst of the battle. I pray, Father, that we would come to enjoy you and live for you as we continue to seek to bring you glory. And friends, I want to ask you, if you are here today and, and you, I, I've been speaking about this battle that's been waging and, and you feel like your, your life has been under pressure and you are not, you have been, you've been separated from God and the, the dragon is devouring you at every, every, every area of your life. I want to encourage you right now to put your faith in Jesus, to allow Him to transform your life. And one of the ways or the pathway to do that is that you submit yourself to God. You plug yourself into a body 
you begin to live a new life, not in your own strength, but in the power of Christ. If that's you today, I want to just pray for you. Maybe you could just raise your hand. If, if you, you need some prayer, you want to come back to God, I can see that hand there. Thank you so much. Thank you for these hands going up. Thank you for these precious people, Lord. Thanks for those hands. I see them. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for these precious people, Lord, that today are yielding themselves again in, in, in humble obedience, wanting to no longer live for themselves, but to live for you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would so enfold them with, their love, with your love that they would encounter your grace. But I also pray for courage, Lord, to step out, say I'm not going to live this way anymore but I need help I need to be plugged in thanks for joining us for today's message don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved we are also streaming our message on Facebook Live so make sure you join us or share the post, thanks again for checking out our podcast, we'll see you soon